Bookworm Games. First episode, Welcome to Earthbound. And welcome, one and all. I'm Wesley Schantz, and I'll be discussing Earthbound today as what I hope will be the first of a number of games and books and works of art and works of technology and works of nature, of human nature as it relates to the world and of the world of nature generally. And in what I hope will be an interesting and a somewhat new and a somewhat old-fashioned way, I'll be looking at Earthbound from the standpoint of one who is pursuing truth, which I take to be the most worthwhile possible thing to aim for in any discussion, in any walk of life, however small a matter it may seem that we are discussing and taking up this old video game for the Super Nintendo, uh, which I first played when it came out in the 90s in the U.S., uh, when I was a little under 10 years old. And so just growing up in the D.C. suburbs, playing video games with my friends. Um, and I do think that even then, we were pursuing the truth in our own way, uh, though of course we wouldn't have put it like that. Uh, to us, playing video games and playing tag and hide-and-seek, playing Legos, was just that. It was playing and having fun. And it was just what we liked to do. And so it seemed good to us to get to do it when we were done with school or when we got back from soccer practice. I think that the truth is big enough to include play. And stories, certainly. Uh, even down to the level of personal stories. And though I don't want to spend too much time on this, uh, in my own case, on this program, uh, it will, of course, influence what I have to say. That is, my own story will influence the things I have to say about all these games and books and everything I'll be discussing. Now, I also want to think about some of the other people who've had their say about Earthbound and other similar games. Uh, people on YouTube, like Matthew Matosis or the Clan of the Grey Wolf. Um, these videos have come to my uh, attention because they've gained some popularity. And my friend Steven, uh, who keeps me in the loop about these things, he'll send me links to them once in a while. And I'd like to have my friends uh, on this program at some point to chat and help me think through all these matters. Um, all those folks on YouTube uh, and who've made podcasts before, I think they too are getting at the truth uh, through their own fashion. Um, what I think is different about my own work uh, just a bit different, is this avowedly philosophical approach that I'm trying to take here. And I really hope that it will be something that's still entertaining enough for people to get interested in. So, essentially, I'll be approaching Earthbound with the assumption that if we immerse ourselves in it and treat it with respect on its own terms, what it is will turn out to be something quite astonishing. Something able to teach us as an immersion experience will do in a foreign language, for example, uh, as a, an apprenticeship to a master teacher in any field of human striving, of technology, of practice, uh, will do, or as seeking the truth in the natural world, as a scientist would do, or as speaking with one's neighbors about ethical matters, as Socrates would do. Um, this is to treat the game as if it had something important to say, it will not disappoint us. Uh, this is, of course, how I approach great books in my teaching at school. Um, and I don't want to get too much into the discussion right now of, of the canon and its influence on culture and so on. I think it's an important discussion, something worth talking about. But for now, just suffice it to say, I take it for given, as a given, that there are such things uh, as great books, as great works of art, that they actually are great, un unmistakably, universally, recognizably, um, because they uh, have effectively infinite depth uh, and are inexhaustibly 
able to teach us and to enrich our lives. So it is my contention then that Earthbound presents itself as having an important story to tell. Um, although it's not a game, of course, which takes itself too seriously, uh, and part of its charm comes from the gentle undercutting of the stereotypical mythic fantasy video games of that uh, time and place, uh, such as Dragon Warrior and Final Fantasy, those series. Um, and I say, I say that Earthbound does present itself as having an important story to tell, mostly because of its overarching plot, which is openly mythical, mythic in scale. Uh, you're saving the world. And because of its themes, which I take to be wisdom, courage, and friendship. And which I don't think in any way it is holding up to ridicule or really trying to do anything but to celebrate and to cultivate and the people playing the game. The people who are willing to invest their time and their energy and their emotions in the characters and the world that is so lovingly crafted by the game developers, by the writers, by the translators. And in this interplay of mutual gratitude between the creators and the players, well, I see nothing but an earnest beauty, albeit one with a sense of humor. Um, I think that it's right in not taking itself too seriously. Uh, and I think that that humility in itself is part of the game's greatness. Now, so, to get into the beginning of the game, I think the way I like to describe it, it opens with a crash and with a transformation. There is something that has landed on a, on a hilltop behind your house. It wakes you out of your sleep. Uh, is it an earthquake? Is it a monster? You go and investigate. It's a meteorite. Uh, and the glowing meteorite at the top of the hill turns out to have coincided with the arrival from the future of Buzz Buzz, who introduces himself by saying, A B I am not. His consciousness has been placed into the bee-like mechanism to be able to travel back in time to make contact with you, Ness, or whatever you've named yourself, and to deliver this important message in the prophecy of something called the Apple of Enlightenment. It is said that four young friends, three boys and a girl, will stand against Gigas, the universal cosmic destroyer, and will prevail. And immediately, you choose to accept this quest, and your neighbor, who's also come to investigate the, the meteorite, his name is Pokey, he backs out, he tries to. And as we'll see, Pokey's cowardice does not prevent him from trying to take advantage of the situation, his knowledge of the future, his knowledge of what's going on. Um, and throughout the game, he'll serve as a kind of counterpart and foil to your own quest. Now, intentionally, or almost certainly not intentionally, BuzzBuzz's name, uh, and even that first speech he has, a B-I-M-not, uh, it alludes to Hamlet, Shakespeare's Hamlet. Uh, and I'm going to go on a digression here uh, on this word, buzz, so bear with me. In Hamlet, this is Act 2, Scene 2, Line 393, uh, Hamlet says, buzz, buzz. 
there's a comma in between uh, and an exclamation point at the end. Now, this uh, line is usually glossed something like this. This is in the Riverside Shakespeare. It says, Buzz, an exclamation of impatience at someone who tells you news, tells news already known. And uh, so it's a kind of uh, a, an expression of disdain for um, his, his treacherous advisor, Polonius, who's come uh, to tell him news that he already knows, which is actually about a group of actors, uh, players, as they're called in, in the play, uh, who've come to the castle. And uh, this, uh, this, this footnote, <laughs> you can learn a lot by looking at the footnotes. Um, so in the previous exchange with his treacherous friends, Rosencrantz and Gilderdenstern, uh, where they have actually already told Hamlet this news about the actors, uh, there's a longer note on the use of the word innovation there. It means something closer to a revolt or a disturbance and refers to some kind of political unrest or perhaps to this new fad of children actors, child actors. And it's explaining uh, why the grown-up actors have been forced to travel to the castle, the castle of Elsinore. Um, apparently, this is Rosencrantz speaking, there is an airy of children, little ayases, and that's at line 339. Uh, that's glossed as meaning basically a nest, an airy, of unfledged hawks. That word ayas is. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Unfledged hawks. Which uh, I found really interesting. Uh, because just before Polonius enters, Hamlet will say, basically, that he knows Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are themselves only acting, having been sent by the king calls him uncle father and his and his aunt mother the queen he says i am but mad north northwest when the wind is southerly i know a hawk from a handsaw and this makes me think that he is already uh, making the association between the actors and this concept of a tool like a handsaw um he's picking up on rosencrantz words about children comparing them to hawks and he's picking up on Rosencrantz and Guildenstern uh, acting as the tools of the king and queen. And he's already, I think, making his plan, which will have in place by the end of the scene, to perform a play before the king and queen, which will dramatize the killing of his father, the, the regicide. And that's where he'll have his famous lines, the plays, the thing, wherein I'll ca catch the conscience of the king. So, Looking just a little further back, also, he'd used this bird imagery already himself in line 293. Um, and I'll just read a little bit from there. This is where he, again, is telling Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, essentially he knows that they've been sent. And he says, um, I will tell you why. So shall my anticipation prevent your discovery, and your secrecy to the king and queen molt no feather. So, molt no feather, the, the note there says, it will not be impaired in the least, but of course it's a, another bird image, another flight image. Um, and he goes on. I'll read a little further here. I have of late, but wherefore I know not, lost all my mirth, foregone all custom of exercises, and indeed it goes so heavily with my disposition that this goodly frame, the earth, seems to me a sterile promontory. 
This most excellent canopy, the air. Look you, this brave o'erhanging firmament. This majestical roof, fretted with golden fire. Why, it appeareth nothing to me but a foul and pestilent congregation of vapors. What a piece of work is a man! How noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how express and admirable in action. How like an angel in apprehension, how like a god, the beauty of the world the paragon of animals. And yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not me, <laughs> nor women neither, though by your smiling you seem to say so. So that that runs roughly lines 293 to 310. Uh, and that last word there um, that he has about nor woman neither uh, seems to be a sexual joke, right? Man delights not me, nor woman neither. Uh, this is um, this is of course Polonius's theory about Hamlet's madness, namely that uh, Hamlet is in love with Ophelia, and when Polonius noticed that's Polonius's daughter, when Polonius noticed that, uh, he says back at lines one thirty-two or so, uh, when I had seen this hot love on the wing, that's his. Again, metaphor, not to get too English professory here, but this metaphor of flight is very insistent in these lines, right? Um, and it's, it's there, uh, there in Earthbound 2. Buzz Buzz, of course, although he's not a bee, he's in the body of what seems to be a mechanical bee, uh, to be or not to be. He's flying around you in circles once he joins you, once you've accepted your quest, your destiny. And, uh, in that flight, he, of course, is uh, is representing something that is is connected to the earth, but uh, in a in a different way than you, right? In a freer way, um, and in that circular motion, uh, he's performing a kind of of dance constantly. This connection and this freedom are are in contact. Um, now, in in Hamlet. Uh, uh, to, Polonius is, is basically saying that he intervenes to try to um, cut short the romance between uh, Ophelia and Hamlet. And uh, I'll read a little bit further here. Polonius goes on around line 139. Uh, no, I went round to work, and my young mistress thus I did bespeak. Lord Hamlet is a prince out of thy star. This must not be. And then I prescripts gave her that she should lock herself from his resort, admit no messengers, receive no tokens. Which done, she took the fruits of my advice, and he repelled a short tale to make, fell into a sadness, then into a fast, thence to a watch, thence to a weakness, thence to a lightness, and by this declension into the madness wherein he now wherein now he raves, and all we mourn for. <laughs> so, Polonius's reading of Hamlet's madness is that it's a result of his own uh, intervention to stop his daughter from, uh, from showing any affection uh, in, in returning Hamlet's uh, uh, signs of love. Now, uh, so, I bring all this up uh, because from when I first read Hamlet back in high school, and then whenever I used to teach it, uh, 
This buzz buzz line always stood out to me uh, because it reminded me of the beginning of Earthbound. Um, and then once I'd read Hamlet, whenever I would go back and play Earthbound again, the buzz buzz thing would remind me of Hamlet. Uh, and I think this is another way in which uh, games and books and these kinds of uh, works of art and, and, and even play, they enrich us because they set up these associations so that they give us a kind of framework and a vocabulary and, and a sort of imaginative well from which to draw when we face difficulties um, in our lives. This is what Hamlet is resolving to do. Uh, even in his irresolution, uh, he's going to use the play as a thing. And so it's not just words, words, words. Uh, it's not just entertainment. It is, in fact, an effective tool to begin to set things right. Now, I also certainly recall, as a child playing this game, uh, all of Buzz Buzz Long's speeches uh, were kind of boring. And he acknowledges this. At a certain point, he'll tell you, thanks for listening to his long story. Um, and if you're not careful at that point, the game is uh, giving you the option of hearing that whole story again. And so if you're just pushing the button to get through his lines and not really reading them, when you push the button, it will send you back to the start of his speech and it will play through again for you so that in a way the game, in thanking you for listening to it, is forcing you, ironically, to actually read what BuzzBuzz Buzz is saying because it's important. Um, and... For all that, for all Buzz Buzz's wordiness, uh, I always thought, even as a kid playing this game, he makes up for it because he's so powerful in battle. Um, the first boss that you face is a Starman Jr. who has followed Buzz Buzz from the future, and he teleports in and blocks your way when you're almost in sight of your house again. The Starman Jr. uses fire attacks, which would easily wipe out your party, uh, except for the psychic shield that Buzz Buzz places over you. And, and while your attacks with the cracked bat hardly put a dent in the Starman's shiny metal armor, Buzz Buzz attacks do something like 20 times as much damage, and they knock him out within a few rounds. Uh, now, nevertheless, the, the aid Buzz Buzz can give is somewhat short-lived. The battle has exhausted him. And then when Pokey's mom swats him, she says he's a dung beetle, it crushes him, and it's all he can do to deliver his last words. Maybe several times, if you're <laughs> clicking it again. Uh, his last words he delivers uh, before passing away. Now just a brief note there, the, the dung beetle reference is also of course, the divine scarab of ancient Egypt, rolling the sun god through the sky. And that connection of the high and the low is as Shakespearean as anything in Earthbound. Uh, now, now, in these final words, this is also where Buzz Buzz gives you the soundstone and explains its use, uh, which we'll be going over in next week's episode. Um, so, as you can see, I'm going to be sort of presupposing that anyone still listening at this point has played 
Earthbound already, or at least has a certain amount of interest uh, in it for its own sake, and won't mind if I don't tell the story in a linear way, or if I uh, let slip some spoilers uh, now and then in my analysis, and, and in my attempts, attempts at synthesis, of course. Um, needless to say, I strongly recommend playing Earthbound, and that will go for each of the games uh, and, and for the things that I'll be, dis be discussing here. Um, read them for yourselves, play them for yourselves. Uh, I only want to talk about the best stuff, and that's what I want to be doing, rather than setting myself up as some kind of arbiter or general critic. I'm speaking here as one who loves this stuff, as an amateur in the root sense of the word, in the radical sense, if you like, of being, being, being love, and not as an expert, but as one who has got a fair amount of experience with this material, um, having studied and taught the great books one way or another for about 10 years, and then having played video games, or sometimes um, with more attention and sometimes with less, uh, for, for longer than that since childhood. And I'm uh, going into my fourth decade now. And so I'm very glad to finally be sitting down to do this. I definitely hope you enjoy listening as much as I'm enjoying making these. I'll try to release new material regularly. I'm hoping once a week on, on Sunday afternoons. And I'm looking forward to your questions and any comments that you want to post in response. Now to recap today's episode, the pursuit of pleasure or fun, the pursuit of happiness, is sure to develop into the pursuit of truth. Because when you come across a truly great game or book or work of art or a teacher, as you're bound to do, someone who approaches their work with care and gratitude and humility, um, there's a depth there and an enrichment of your own life that will become unmistakable to you. And Earthbound is such a game for many reasons, and the first of which is its emphasis on your actions saving the world through the qualities which BuzzBuzz Buzz sets out for you. Wisdom, friendship, courage. Now, with that the adventure of Earthbound has begun, and the book Warm Games project is up and running. In the next episode, uh, we'll begin to look more closely at the concept of home and its relationship to a theme of family that is most clearly indicated by the original title of Earthbound, which was Mother 2. We'll uh, make some more specific connections to literature, the book next week being Swan's Way by Marcel Proust, where he is talking the opening of that book about his own room uh, that he slept in as a child, and uh, we'll discuss his famous Madeline Cookie-induced flood of memories, and how that connects to the soundstone and the memories that are released at your sanctuary locations in Earthbound. So, we've had uh, Shakespeare in week one. We'll have Proust in week two. That's not bad company so far for Earthbound to be brushing elbows with. Until next time, take care.